Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Welcome back for another episode. Good to have you all with us. We are continuing our Oathbringer breakdown, what will likely continue for the rest of the new year, which is 2018. Happy New Year to you all. Wait, keep, the whole year? Yeah, we're just going to keep talking. Well, <laughs> just Oathbringer? We don't get any more Stormlight Archive this year. Oh, like, man. It's yeah. a year off I at know. least and so probably sad. two. So we got to just No Cosmere, this. actually. No Ugh. Cosmere. Except for White except Sand. Except for, yeah, the White Sand graphic novel we're going to get in February. And then we're just in like a Cosmere drought, friends. Isn't there a possibility of book four, Mistborn Era 2, coming out later in the year? Or is that no, I don't 2019 think so. Predicted? Yeah, I think 2019. All right. Well, maybe Brandon will give us one of the magical writing surprises and release totally something possible. early. Totally possible. Yeah. But for today, we have a look at everybody's favorite world hopper, mystery of the Cosmere, multi-named friend, possibly foe, Hoyd. We're going to look at some of the new things that we learned about Hoyd and Oathbringer, as well as take an in-depth look at the letters that we get in part two epigraphs. And let's begin by saying that we did already do a episode, I believe it was episode four, on Hoyd and his appearances across the Cosmere. So if you're looking for just more of like the general where has Hoyd appeared and the first round of letters that we got from Way of Kings, Words of Radiance, and that can be found in episode four. This episode, we're really just going to be focusing on what we saw from Hoyd in Oathbringer, which was quite a bit. I mean, I was pretty so happy much. and shocked at the same time for yeah. how much Hoyd we had. Me too. <laughs> we got so much new info. Uh, and the letters were super interesting. So let's uh, go ahead and dive right in. So what we are kind of planning on doing is looking at each of the letters and then kind of speculating about them individually and and pulling out any important aspects of those letters. Yeah, they're full of a lot of little interesting tidbits. And as Brooke said, this is all from the epigraphs of part two in Oathbringer. Do you just want to kind of go through line by line and and we'll kind of stop and talk about the interesting stuff as it comes up? Yeah, sounds good. Excellent. So it begins letter one uh, with Dearest Sephandrius. And Sephandrius is the name first mentioned by preservation in reference to Hoyd. It seems to be that... Sephandrius is the name that the other shards or the other vessels I should say uh, refer to Hoyd as yeah we know from Brandon that Sephandrius is the oldest known name of Hoyd he said I think he said it's about a century off from his like original name but it's the oldest one that we know of so far and we can kind of speculate that just the use of this name points back to the sender being someone who 
was around at the Shattering and probably knew Hoyd from that time period. And so we expect that anytime you hear someone using the name Sephandrius, it's likely a shard and or vessel. Yeah, and or just someone like really old who's kind of in the the big game. Yes, the big Cosmere game that Hoyd is playing at. So uh, that's how it begins. So exciting. And then... (laughs) The letter continues, I received your communication, of course. I noticed its arrival immediately, just as I noticed your many intrusions into my land. You think yourself so clever, but my eyes are not those of some petty noble to be clouded by a false nose and some dirt on the cheeks. (laughs) Referencing, of course, the fact that Hoyd often disguises himself as a beggar, uh, especially when he is infiltrating uh, some fancy light-eyes party or (laughs) uh, some of the nobles over on Scadriel, whatnot. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that this person, whoever's writing this letter, is like really calling out Hoyd, um, you know, and saying like, you think you're so sneaky, but like... You are a child, basically. Do you want to continue the letter as he, the author, we don't know, he or she, uh, continues to call out Hoyd? Yeah, letter continues. You mustn't worry yourself about Raysa. It is a pity about Aona and Skye, but they were foolish, violating our pact from the very beginning. I think that's just important to remind everyone. Aona and Skye are the vessel's name of the shards devotion and dominion yeah on cell and we know that they were the first victims of odium before he arrived in the risharian system we've talked about that uh magic on selen nalthus episode nine but it is clear that this we believe vessel or shard knows about the death of of these two vessels. Yeah, and this attitude of like not worried about odium, not really sympathetic at all towards Aona and Sky, right? Just kind of like these things that we I feel like as a whole have been sort of looking at as, you know, Raisa is bad, he needs to be stopped. Devotion and Dominion like, "Oh, so sad, they got destroyed." And this person writing the letter is kind of like not along those lines at all. And what I also think is interesting about that idea is that it kind of gives a hint uh, to the eventual reveal of Odium as not the supreme evil that we kind of imagined. Uh, You know, we talked about this in our last episode. It was definitely surprising how Odium appeared and the idea of being more passion than just hatred so that's obviously something that a vessel and shard would know about and so maybe this is a hint that either not all the vessels see odium as a bad thing uh, or that there is even uh, some kind of not disrespect but just kind of like you're one of 16 and all the powers of the shards are are basically equal and so why would one shard worry all that much about another well but i think they're not equal anymore 
I agree. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I think that there's this faulty logic from right, the person who it. is writing. But I, I think that the that is where the attitude could maybe come from sure. about why you could be dismissive of Odium. It's just like, you know, you're he's one of 16. He's not anything more important or significant than I am. Or, or not a threat to me in any way because the powers are equal. Think about if this is written by a shard. Yes, and I'm just guessing on that based on the name Sephandrius. So it totally could be wrong. Uh, but yeah, especially because it does say our pact, violating our pact from the very beginning, while he is talking about shards. So that does seem to indicate that the writer is a shard as well. Um, but I think you make a great point of this introducing some doubt into the equation for the reader um, and kind of one of those moments where you start to question what you know as I think we all need to do in the Cosmere all the time because like with the reveals in Oathbringer, like with the reversal at the end of Mistborn, this is one of my favorite themes that Brandon deals with is like misinformation and disillusionment and like what can you really believe about what you're being told. So for me, this does introduce like a question of like, what if Hoyd is wrong? Like, what if Hoyd is totally overreacting? Or what if, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Reza is actually not that big of a deal. He's pretty small in the scale of the whole Cosmere, you know, which is also, I think, what this is showing. Because if you're a shard and you have that kind of cosmic vision that, you know, a deity would have those small things just seem so much more insignificant than it does for, you know, the humans who are on the surface of Rashar. And I think this next part in the letter is going to play into that idea as well. So continuing with the letter, your skills are admirable, but you are merely a man. You had your chance to be more and refused it. That is a, uh, referencing something that we have heard about before in regards to Hoyt is that at some point in the past he had the opportunity to become a a shard uh or or to pick up a shard and, and kind of elevate his power uh but refused to and we don't know when that happened it does not seem likely that there was any type of Hoyt trying to intersect in preservation or ruin um demise no, i think it's talking about the shattering yeah I, yeah I i think so as well i just wanted like these times when the shards die or are you know hurt by odium is also an opportunity we saw from the the people of the irie mm-hmm. who it's an opportunity to take the shard for yourself from that other vessel. Mm. So I don't, I'm saying, I don't think it was one of those instances right. of devotion or dominion dying and Hoyd like standing in well, the background. Well, yeah, because it says like he refused it. Not that he like chose not to go after it, but that like he had total opportunity to do it easily and like decided not to, you know, it's not like, oh, he went after it and then like lost it or anything like that. As you were saying, though, about maybe Hoyd being wrong, this kind of slapdown insult of you are merely a man, I think is something that is recurring over and over and over again throughout the Cosmere. Whenever we have interactions between mortals and the shards, whether that's Kelsier and Preservation or Vin and Ruin or Dalinar and Odium, 
there's always a moment that is seen in each of those interactions when either out of like anger or uh, kindness or, or something out of something, the shards are like, you don't really see the whole picture. Let me show you what's going on. And they like give the sight or the power of their shard to a moment to one of these mortals. Odium does it to Dalinar in Oathbringer, and Dalinar is completely overwhelmed by it. Vin uh, sees ruin. Kelsier sees preservation. Like, you have all these moments of just, like, the mortals realizing how small and insignificant they are in comparison. But then when it comes to someone like Kelsier, he basically says, like, I don't care. And, you know, he... He sees a fault in preservation um, that, like, gives him confidence. And so I think that's interesting to keep in mind, too, is, like, the shards are much more significant and are playing on this different cosmic level, but it doesn't mean that they are completely without fault. Yeah, I mean, we know they're fallible. Obviously, they can die and make mistakes. Um, But I think exactly what you're saying is even more significant when it's Hoyd because I think we're used to seeing Hoyd as being more powerful, more knowledgeable than the rest of the humans. And so to then realize that in relation to the shards, you know, he doesn't know anything, is much less powerful. To hear him like spoken of in that way is an interesting, uh, different perspective. So let's continue with the letter. No good can come of two shards settling in one location. It was agreed that we would not interfere with one another, and it disappoints me that so few of the shards have kept to this original agreement. Very significant line. Yeah, so much information. You have, one, a type of agreement between the shards to not settle on the same planet, possibly even within the same system, uh, but basically to to not interfere with each other. Of course, we know that a bunch of shards did. Yeah, but it's like all they've done is interfere with one another. Absolutely. Even the ones that are on, even the shards that have stayed inside of a single system, like Autonomy on Taldane, they're still interfering and getting involved with other shards and other worlds. Yeah. Or like, uh, there obviously there's something going on with the the cognitive realm and, and being able to move back and forth. And the shards know about that. It's not like they're blind to that type of thing. So there's all this type of interference among all the shards that we know of. But this author of the letter sees that as a violation of their original pact or their original agreement and so it leads me to believe that this might be the dragon frost uh, that we originally speculated was possibly one of the authors of the first letter from uh, way of kings i mean i would say that's like a good call but i think this letter the voice is different Like, I feel like even though the one that we think is from Frost disagreed with Hoyd, uh, he still spoke to Hoyd in 
a sort of friendly way, you know, like you would disagreeing with a friend. Rather, this new letter, I think, sounds much more strict and stern towards Hoyd. I agree with that interpretation. I am mainly trying to get at the almost like a a third party. Yeah, the isolationism is the same. Yeah. So, and I mean, it sounds like this person was also part of the group that decided together and like figured out how to shatter adenalsium and figured out what they were going to do with it, right? Like I get the impression that there was a group of people who like engineered this whole thing. So I do get the impression that this person is from that group. If we continue with the letter, we also get mention of another vessel. So the next line is, As for Yuli Da, it was obvious from the outset that she was going to be a problem. Good riddance. And Uli Da is the vessel's name of the shard Ambition. Yes. Well, is Ambition one of the shards that has been killed? Yep. On which planet? Or wh- where? what system? Uh, I believe it's Threnody. Okay, that's what I thought too. And there's something going on there where it's possible that parts of the shards power were pushed off of Threnody like into yeah. like a secondary planet or there something was like, like well there was like a big cosmic battle there so ambition was in the system i'm not sure if she was actually on Threnody, but in the system there's i believe three habitable habitable planets there and odium came and they had sort of like an epic battle in the space around the planets, which creates the unique investiture situation that we see in that system. And the final bit of this letter, regardless, this is not your concern. You turned your back on divinity. If Reza becomes an issue, he will be dealt with, and so will you. So just everything in this letter is such a cavalier, carefree reaction to all of these big things in the Cosmere that we're used to thinking of as significant. So what about the concept that this is the shard autonomy? This is Bavadin. This is the one who we have speculated possibly could be attacking uh scadrial and there's the red mist that uh and, and the red corruption that's seen with like trell on scadrial i think the babadin theory is actually for the next letter oh no no i know that oh. i'm saying they're wrong i think this could be babadin or babadin oh you think well because isolationist Kind of makes sense. Taldane is where autonomy is located, which is an, one of the mm-hmm. planets that only He's has one shard. Keeping it really isolated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And because kind of the I anger. Think, like the... Yeah, but I think, and this could just be my interpretation, but my impression is that the relationship between Bavadin and Hoyd is so, has so much animosity that they would not be writing letters at all. Or that it would be much more inflammatory than this one is. Like, this letter is dismissive, but it's not, like, angry or mean or rude necessarily, you know? Yeah, and I guess the 
beginning of the letter when it talks about noticing the letter's arrival and the intrusions upon the land um you know wouldn't have been taken so kindly uh, by autonomy to hoid maybe more like yeah exactly right. like it's dismissive but it's not angry it's just like ugh, you're annoying go away stop being dumb so that was just one speculation i just got whole reams of speculation letter <laughs> after letter but a possible other because i'm just trying to think of where are there shards in the cosmere that mm-hmm. are isolated mm. not part of a two shard system or anything right. like that and so we know that there's one other shard that Brandon has said, we don't know the name of it, but Brandon has said it just wants to hide and survive. And so maybe uh, that shard could be responsible for this first letter or possibly even the second letter that we're about to get to. Yeah, I think it's possible. Although I get the impression from that, that that shard would like not be in contact with anyone and especially in this second letter i get the impression that there is sort of like a governing body or a congregation of some kind let's read the second one okay let's definitely go into the second one do you want to start it off yeah letter number two begins Sephandrius, bearer of the first gem and we have to stop right there what the heck is the first gem <laughs> Well, there are several references to Hoyd being in possession of a gemstone or a rock of some kind, a crystal. This has been referenced a few times. And it may be possible that the first gem that is being referenced is somehow connected to adenalcium before uh it was shattered i just have no real idea or real like information about what this first gem is um what it makes me think of is that flaky pink crystal that Mraze has i don't know if they're actually connected at all but that's just what it makes me think of but yeah i think this is just like 100 percent total mystery that will be revealed later it could also be some type of aspect of investiture from Yolan because yeah. we do know that he has um, an original type of light weaving from from Yolan. So I think that maybe that could be the source of uh, investiture there. Yeah, I was thinking that too, that it could be a part of some gemstone or like mineral based uh, magic system that we haven't seen yet. The letter continues on. You must know better than to approach us by relying upon presumption of past relationship. So obviously a author of this letter who has previously dealt with Hoyd, as it seems most have, had had interactions. Yeah, definitely. You have spoken to one who cannot respond. We, instead, will take your communication to us, though we know not how you located us upon this world. And so this is what you were mentioning about some type of congregation or collection or representatives of a shard. It says, you have spoken to one who cannot respond. So obviously Hoyd was trying to contact, but then these people or this entity with kind of a diverse... Okay, so here's kind of what I'm thinking. 
we know that like the Amians from Rashar are made up of Kremlings. And they yeah, can the send Dicean Amians. Yes, the Dices are two different types. Um, but the Dicean Amians can kind of throw their Kremlings out into the world mm-hmm. and they operate independently. Mm-hmm. I kind of see that in this response of like a, a type of super organism or something. Yeah, like a hive mind, yes. horde type of thing. Yeah, because it the grammar of it is interesting in that they seem to be using first person plural as like speaking singular as well as speaking about a group. Yeah, and that kind of seems to be normally done in a hive mind circumstance. So right. maybe the shard has diversified itself from one vessel to multiples. Or... I don't know. I'm like really thinking that this is possibly a group or like a governing body that exists on Yolin. Like, not necessarily a shard, but, like, part of the group that the original vessels came from. I think that's interesting, but I don't know why we would expect that much depth when it seems like what Hoyd did at some point before these letters were written is that he reached out to other shards in warning. But why does that have to be just shards? Like... The shards came after an existing civilization, like after Hoyd's, wherever Hoyd came from, after Adenalsium, you know? I know. I just, I think the shattering destroyed that. And Hoyd is like the last of I mean, it's possible, his... but if this group of people was, had enough like intelligence and power to shatter Adenalsium, do you think they wouldn't like preserve themselves? It does say that they thought that they were well hidden, which kind of hints at uh that idea but then let's uh let's continue because this uh this letter gets more interesting as well we are indeed intrigued for we thought it well hidden insignificant among our many realms as the waves of the sea must continue to surge so must our will continue resolute alone first reference to the sea the ocean there will be another in just a moment from this letter so obviously these people are maybe based underwater or uh, are kind of like an atlantis type of situation maybe a city that was above was sunken on purpose as well, like protection yeah and what do they mean by this world is insignificant among our many realms like not three realms but many we know of three realms like what does that mean I think primarily they're talking about physical like realm of control and not the three different realms of physical, cognitive, and spiritual. Um, I could be wrong, but it's possible that if there was some type of hive mind circumstance, then anywhere that an entity of the hive mind was present it would consider itself like in control of that that space or that area. So they could be on many different planets or in many different systems and consider yeah. all of those like part of their empire, their realm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, okay, letter continues on. Did you expect anything else from us? We need not suffer the interference of another. 
Raisa is contained, and we care not for his prison. We indeed admire his initiative. Perhaps if you had approached the correct one of us with your plea, it would have found favorable audience. Now, I find that interesting as well, the concept of approaching the correct one of us. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like Hoyd attempted to contact one who he felt would be sympathetic and for whatever reason, his communication sort of fell into the wrong hands. And they were like, yeah, you thought you could get away with this by like contacting the one that you thought was the weak link. Like, too bad. Continuing, but we stand in the sea, pleased with our domains. Leave us alone. We also instruct that you should not return to Obradai. We have claimed that world, and a new avatar of our being is beginning to manifest there. She is young yet, and as a precaution, she has been instilled with an intense and overpowering dislike of you. See, and this is really what makes me think that this group is like even older and not necessarily more powerful, but in some way above the shards. Like, if they're able to select a vessel for a shard and, you know, install it, that says something new to me. Well, and we should we should explain the word of Brandon uh, that references this passage specifically. Uh, so, on Oathbringer release day, November 14th or something, there was many different signings and whatnot brandon all you know traveling all around the country and people often ask him questions and at one of those signings brandon was specifically asked about uh this letter and his response was uh shocking super shocking (sighs) if you read the transcript it's literally like entire room falls silent in shock and then someone just like stammers like uh uh are are you are you saying what I think you're saying? <laughs> but basically, he tells us that this new avatar is likely the island of Patchy on the planet First of the Sun, which appears in the short story Sixth of the Dusk. So Brandon has kind of given soft confirmation that... This is a shard, not necessarily a new shard, but this is a shard, and the vessel of that shard is an island called Patchy. Yeah, and Six of the Dusk is really interesting, I think, but this island Patchy, the, the people who live on Six of the Dusk reference it as sort of the father of all of their islands, and... It's supposed to be the most hostile. So it has like tons of deadly animals that live on it. The jungle is sort of alive and tries to kill any human that uh, trespasses on its shore. It's this very hostile environment. And Six of the Dusk is meant to be set quite late in the Cosmere timeline. So after, I believe, after Mistborn Era 4, so like Space Age. So Patchy would be the older version of this shard that we hear referenced in the letter as being brand new. 
And this type of speculation about a a vessel being a, a physical location, an island itself, it's the first time that we've had direct confirmation of any type of thing. But if you go back and listen to our speculation about the planet of Cell, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have the destruction of the two shards and their power, a lot of it being forced into the cognitive realm. Yeah, and then the land achieving sentience. Yes, and so the our speculation was that it would be conceivable that over enough time, the new vessel of ambition and, or excuse me, devotion and dominion on Cell became Cell, became the, the planet, planet Cell. Yeah. And that type of soft speculation by us is now given at least a little bit more credit with Brandon's confirmation that yes, an island can be a shard. shard, So if an island can be, why can't a whole planet be? So So interesting. I know. (laughs) See, but this also like just these letters together give me the impression that there's again, some kind of group of people who are like using the shards as tools to like take over the cosmere let's finish out this letter and then go to the easiest and nicest one okay (laughs) uh okay continuing on at the end here this is all we will say at this time if you wish more seek these waters in person and overcome the tests we have created only in this will you earn our respect so we definitely know that this author is based on a planet with a lot of water and could be some type of underwater civilization, which we have not seen anywhere in the Cosmere. Well, and I think they could even be on Six of the Dusk, or sorry, uh, First of the Sun, and it could be that the tests they have created, since they say that they have instilled the Shard, which is an island with a specific hatred of Hoid, it could be that he has to, like, brave all of those horrible, hostile things on Patchy. The only type of kind of resistance uh, to that, and it it could be mistaken, but if you read the line before where it says... Um, we instruct you that you should not return to Oberdai, which could be their name for the planet uh, Six of the Dust. Yeah, that's the only way that that, um, but, that that works. But it says we have claimed that world, implying that they are on a different world mm, yeah, to but, start. Yeah, so I guess. It's unlikely that they are both saying you can come here to take the test in our waters, but also referencing that world that they have claimed over there being overdone. They say we've claimed that world, but then they say seek these waters. That could that could go either way. Obviously we don't know for sure. Alrighty. (laughs) Going on to the next letter, which is definitely the most uh clear cut. It begins Friend, your letter is most intriguing, even revelatory. I would have thought, before attaining my current station, that a deity could not be surprised. Obviously, that is not true. I can be surprised. I can perhaps even be naive, I think. I am the least equipped of all to aid you in this endeavor. I am finding that the powers I hold are in such conflict that the most simple of actions can be difficult. 
And these kind of hints that we've got so far in this letter, the idea that before I attained my current station, I would have thought a deity could not be surprised, implies that the person relatively recently uh, became a deity and spent some time before who was not a deity. And that's yeah, so that's not Zayas. one of the original vessels. Yeah, and doesn't refer to him as Sephandrius, but instead as friend. Uh, so our likely author of this letter is Zazed, the shard of harmony or i guess calling him the shard of harmony is not quite accurate he is technically a vessel that is holding both of the shards ruin and preservation and they have started to maybe merge into one but yeah, it's because, not complete uh i don't know because we have a word of brandon that if sayest was to drop his power what would fall would not be ruin and preservation, but it would be a single shard of harmony. So I think that his difficulty of uh, finding the powers I hold are in such conflict that the most simple of actions can be difficult is really seen in Mistborn Era 2. It's basically the entire uh, motivation for Wax's anger at harmony he basically continually attacks uh harmony who he only knows as god uh because of a lack of action on harmony he's like why aren't you doing anything everything is horrible like why aren't you fixing it isn't this supposed to be your job and says this kind of like dude you have no idea how difficult it is to be harmony to bring balance to everything And I think that in this letter, we're kind of given further example that Zayz is really struggling as Harmony to take action or or to make uh, significant moves. He might be in conflict between the intent of the shard or the shards and his own personal belief as Zay's the, the mortal, uh, or he could just really be having an inability to make any decision because the two shards are opposites. And he, as far as we know, at this moment at least, Zay's is the first one to hold two different shards. Uh, we I don't think we've seen that. Maybe Odium yeah, did think... something like take power. We've kind of speculated about um, like become more powerful with each one he kills, but mm. we haven't we haven't had any confirmation of that. Yeah, well, and even if that was the case, he wouldn't be actually holding two Correct. different shards. I think Says is definitely the only one that we know of. The letter continues on. I am also made uncertain by your subterfuge. Why have you not made yourself known to me before this? How is it that you can hide? Who are you truly, and how do you know so much about Adonalsium? If you would speak to me further, I request open honesty. Return to my lands, approach my servants, and I will see what I can do for your quest. So this is definitely the only letter that has any type of positive response to Hoyd, even though there's wariness, uncertainty. Uh, There's also definitely a willingness uh to to work uh with hoyd 
and you know further confirmation Zazed refers to the Chandra as his servants in Mistborn Era 2 and they refer to themselves as as Harmony's servants so we're pretty confident about letter three's author being Hoyd and the first two letters are much more speculative uh yeah letter three's author is Zazed to Hoyd speaking of Hoyd let's talk about everything we learned about Hoyd because there was a bunch outside of the epigraphs Hoyd just made a bunch of appearances in the book he just talks so much about himself it was just like a gold mine yeah and it's never happened in such a direct way the only thing we've had from Hoyd that was really like revelatory and like you know, the Cosmere nerds really focused on were the stories that he would tell, sometimes using types of uh, light weaving, the Yolish light weaving, we believe, with Kaladin out on the, the plains and stuff. But it was always like metaphor and story and like maybe you can use a couple of these things as a hint to yeah, my true purposes. Yeah, and these very like veiled you know avoiding comments like he never gave a straight answer about like who he is or what he's doing or anything like that it was always very secretive and mysterious and then in this book he's just like oh yeah by the way here's like a bunch of information about me and so we're just going to read a bunch of quotes from hoy that kind of confirm different aspects of his personality or identity uh and let's start with his description of himself and you know kind of his own personal identity again he could be totally full of shit but this just seems like the most honest we've seen hoyd yeah absolutely he describes himself quote i am the bones of a foreign species left drying on the plain that was once long ago a sea a curiosity perhaps a reminder that all has not always been as it is now end quote just the concept of this quote along with the one when he references his age. Uh, I want to jump down to that. Shallan asks Hoyd if he's a herald because, you know, they're interested in finding the heralds. And he chuckles and says, quote, Child, when they were but babes, I had already lived dozens of lifetimes. End quote. Now that heralds for the people in modern rishar are at minimum five thousand years old uh we expect we know that between the early desolations there were hundreds of years and between the later desolations there were just a couple of years so easily and the last desolation was 4500 years ago so it's easily over five thousand years that the heralds would be hoyt is saying that when they were mortals children he had already lived dozens of lifetimes and then his description of being the bones of a foreign species left lying in a lake bed that was once long ago like yeah it just like conjures up this image of unfathomable time and he is like this fossil of something that we can't even comprehend it is always so interesting, too, when you see or experience characters with abnormally long lives compared to you know regular lives of the, the mortal characters. It introduces such a interesting concept 
regarding that character's backstory and their history and how they see current events. I think that there are obviously lots of examples of this throughout the literature or film world, uh, but I always find it very interesting when you have like one character or a couple characters who are ancients uh, compared to, you know, Hoyt is basically saying like, I'm older than this ent- the entire history of the humanity of Rashar. Yeah, that's what's crazy because the timeline on Rashar is so long if you just take, you know, the desolations to now. Like, that's long enough. And then he just adds like thousands and thousands of years on top of that. I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, complete confirmation or all the confirmation along with the other evidence that we have that Hoyd is definitely one of or the oldest person in the Cosmere. Yeah, absolutely. I think, doesn't he make a comment like that about cultivation also? Yeah, I think it's something (laughs) like... uh, Kaladin asks, like, you know, have you met anyone or like any yeah, yeah, any yeah. woman that you're looking at? And uh, he says something like, "There's only one person on this planet that is in my age bracket, and she's a little young for my taste." Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. That. <laughs> There's another super interesting quote uh, from Pattern about Hoyd. So Hoyd leaves from his interaction with. Shalon, they like sit down and have dinner. He leaves and she asks Pattern, do you know anything about wit? And Pattern says, no. He feels like mm, one of us. And just that line alone, he feels like one of us, gives the question of like- What does that mean? Yeah, one of us what? Like, okay, Pattern's a spren. Yeah. So does Hoyd feel like a spren? Um, patterns a cryptic specifically. So does he? Does Hoyd feel like a cryptic who lies or or likes lies? Uh, a light yeah, weaver. Yeah, he is a storyteller. Yeah, so yeah. Cryptic or light weaver kind of goes along with that. Absolutely. Uh, is, is he a surge binder? He's kind of talking about us as in like me and Yushalon, like yeah. we're a team. And so it just introduces all these questions of like, wh- Wait, what? And it kind of gives a it kind of gives me pause and makes me think you know what would pattern feel if he saw kelsier what would pattern oh excuse me what would pattern feel if he saw kelsier after kelsier dies in secret history or okay so be because okay stay with me for this uh one we have kelsier who dies in mistborn era one mistborn secret history he's a cognitive shadow kelsier Okay, only existing in the cognitive realm. But then by Mistborn Era 2, Kelsier is the... Uh, splinter? No, Sliver. Well, he, yes, he he is a Sliver because he, had, he held the power of a shard and then let it go. But he is not currently a Sliver. He is instead a physical entity in Mistborn Era 2 that the people of Southern Scandriel confuse for the Lord Ruler. Uh, and most likely the creator and or person who found the bands of mourning and put them up on the that wax and wane go chasing in that plot story. So what would pattern a spren think about Kelsier as a cognitive shadow? And then what would 
pattern think about Kelsier as the Mistborn Era 2 kind of physical entity when he is reemerged back in and so here's my speculation what if Sephandrius died became a cognitive shadow like Kelsier and then figured out like Kelsier a way back into the physical realm and this gives a hint at why Hoyt is so good at world hopping mm. is because he might have spent He's hundreds like, or thousands of years yeah, anyway. <laughs> in the cognitive realm like figuring out all the mysteries of it and then he it could also partially explain his ability to not dilate time but to kind of move through time without experiencing all of time so I don't know. This is all just speculation. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting thought. But then I think also all of this sort of goes towards the theory that we started putting up in the last Hoyt episode that went super meta about Hoyt sort of being a fictional character. Hoyt recognizing that he is a fictional character. Yeah. So like this idea. pulled himself from the page or pulled himself out of Brandon's head uh, and became the first character that Brandon really latched onto, and I think that on the meta level, there's something there, but I don't know what it is specifically. Well, I just think if we're thinking he exists significantly in the cognitive realm, like what else can you say about a character? You know what I mean? They exist in the cognitive realm, and then we have some more stuff in here. Uh, that sort of speaks towards another quote from Brandon that we have about how Hoyd sometimes shows up places and nothing is going on. Uh, and so he just leaves. Nothing like bookworthy is happening. Uh, and he has a few quotes sort of towards this point. For one, quote, when I was young, he said, Yes. I made a vow. Shalon nodded, wide-eyed. I said I'd always be there when I was needed. And you have been? Yes. She breathed out. It turns out I should have been more specific, as there is technically anywhere. To be honest, there has so far been a random location that is of absolutely no use to anyone. I can know where I'm supposed to be, Shalon, but not always what I'm supposed to do there. And so... We had this earlier word of Brandon and this earlier speculation that Hoyd was popping in and out of the cognitive realm or, or showing up random places in the Cosmere uh, because he was needed or something. <laughs> he would look around and realize nothing bookworthy was going on. And that's the actual quote from the word of Brandon and then go somewhere else. And so, yeah, I definitely think there's and a meta like literally, aspect. Yeah. Talking about that. Like sometimes I show up and I'm just like, mm, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing here. Okay, bye. And I don't know how deep we want to dive into the meta rabbit hole that could be Hoyd. Because I think that it's fun to speculate. And I I honestly do think that there is something meta going on with Hoyd. But at the same time, it could just be like one of those fun things that an author does and plays with, but is not 
meant to be the full yeah. aspect of the character. Yeah, which I would prefer, to be honest. I think that idea is a little bit too meta for me. But I just thought it was interesting that there were so many quotes in Oathbringer that like really spoke towards that idea. But I also think we see sort of a a different, like tender, heroic side of Hoyd that he made this vow to always be there when he was needed. Like, it's so sweet. And I think it tells us so much about who he is and what he's doing. Well, and there is definitely a, remember, his name Hoyd comes from what his own quote. uh, Hoyd is another name that I stole from someone I should have loved. So it's possible that maybe the someone he should have loved died and then he made a promise to always be there when he was needed but didn't specify where there was speaking also to hoyd's sort of purpose or philosophy and what he's doing in the cosmere when he's speaking to shalon he starts talking about three different kinds of people um, because she's talking about how she wants to have the power to change things and to make a difference Um, and he says you know there's some people who just step to the side of the boulder and just let the boulder destroy everything and then you know they pick up the power when it's gone or there are people who like try to shove the boulder and they try to move it in the way they want it to go and then he says quote there is but they are oh so rare These know they can't stop the boulder, so they walk beside it, study it, and bide their time. Then they shove it, ever so slightly, to create a deviation in its path. End quote. And I think he's talking about himself there. I think that is like his philosophy and what he's doing in the Cosmere is like watching everything and then very sort of slowly and quietly making a little move just to nudge things more towards the way he wants them to go. And I think that we can really see this in Mistborn Era 2 when his, and, you know, basically all of his interactions, but Mistborn Era 2, his involvement with uh, Wax, he gives him a coin that basically launches the entire exploration of the plot in, into the, the Southern Scadrians and the Fabrials. Uh, of and the, the identity of quote the lord ruler yes uh and so all of that is because of hoyd and you can just imagine hoyd was walking along in scadriel looking at the boulder as it moved Mm -hmm. and then just made one gigantic push against the boulder and all he did was just like nudge it ever so slightly with this coin introduced to wax right such a small decision like he's not making any big moves he didn't assassinate anyone he's not overturning civilizations all he did was give a coin to one person and yet that tiny interaction is going to change everything there's a couple of kind of juicy tidbits and we mentioned this in our our last episode that hoyd gives uh to the characters specifically Shalon, when he says, be wary of anyone who claims to be able to see the future, Shalon. And he says that twice in quick succession, like very intensely, which just really jumped out at me. And so last week we speculated the reason for, I speculated, the reason for this insistence to be wary of anyone who could claim to see the future is because 
Moalak, the unmade, uh, that gives a little bit of future sight in the form of the death rattles, and maybe in other forms as well. But my theory was that that unmade was kind of like blocking the spirit realm, or any type of future sight would go through Moalak, and Moalak was corrupted and unmade now, so you don't want to go through Moalak because he could be, or maybe not he, but the force could be uh, messing with future sight and, and giving incorrect things. I think we see this in the diagram most mm. importantly, is that Teravangian is so convinced that his diagram is perfect and he created in this moment of like epic genius, but then throughout, really in Words of Radiance, but really into Oathbringer as well, we see more and more that the diagram was wrong and that Teravangian has been trying to edit the diagram in like key ways when he was not a super genius. He was like really genius and so he felt really yeah. confident about himself. Um, and they're looking for at the death rattles. There's people that worked for Teravangian that were like, I don't think you're interpreting the diagram right and tried to go off and do their own thing. So like, th I think that that, idea of the diagram being corrupted is also an aspect of this incorrect future site maybe yeah. because of Moalak's well we see a lot that people who see the future like end up being wrong or see something that is not entirely correct um so i do think there's something something to that of just the idea of like don't trust your future sight because you're not seeing everything because the future is constantly changing. And I don't think we've really seen any examples on Rashar of something like Atium on Scadrial where you see sort of all possible futures. They seem to just see one picture and then it's understandable to see how that could be wrong. And to be honest, you know, Hoyd could definitely know what it is like to have the the power of a shard uh, and to understand that type of real future sight where it is an infinite number of possible futures. And so what he's just kind of basically pointing out is you're going to get one and that's one of an infinite number of possibilities. So right. you're just too dumb like maybe it's not a dangerous thing maybe it's literally just like you're too dumb to understand future sight so stop trying or don't listen to anybody who says it because they're yeah. they're too dumb yeah yeah for sure but it kind of seems with his intensity that there was danger behind it and so that's why yeah. i look at moalak as possible a corrupting force on future sight on rashar there's another quote from hoyd he's talking to shalon about the cult of spren in kolinar and he says quote the cult reminds me of a group I knew long ago, equally dangerous, equally foolish, end quote. And that to me is like backing up my idea of this like governing group of people that possibly engineered the shattering and is now like manipulating the shards. I definitely think that that's the best support of your theory. And I think that... The idea that Hoyd would be referencing any type of smaller cult or even like, you know, the people from Silverlight or the, the people from the Eyrie, like it yeah. just doesn't make sense that he would care about them as much. Um, yeah, well, or, plus he says a group I knew long ago. 
And if Hoyne says long ago, it's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I thought was interesting is that uh, when talking about, I believe it was the Oath Gates, he says, the spren of the Fabriel won't obey me. Which was like, wait, do other spren obey you? Like, is he just going around ordering spren around? Like, what power is that? Wait, he's specifically talking about that in regards to the Oath Gate? I believe so. But he's the Oath Gate isn't being guarded by Spren, it's being guarded by the Unmade, I thought. But there are remember there's the big Spren that control it, and the reason they end up in Shadesmar is because uh Ja Anat was forced to corrupt the two Spren that are guarding the gate. And so right, it won't right, go right. to the correct place. Got you. Okay, remember now. I think the only other kind of thing to mention about Hoyd from Oathbringer is his ability to uh, enhance or supplement the light weaving that was done by Shallan in her story of the girl who looked up uh, about the, the young girl who lives in a town surrounded by the massive wall and she keeps trying to find out why the wall is there and why nobody does anything about her. Goes to the other side. She eventually climbs the wall and she finds stormlight. She finds spheres and she brings that back. And Hoyd, in the second telling, I believe the chapter is called The Girl Who Stood Up. And it's at Shallan's low point. Um, Shallan is telling the story through light weaving and both she's like she recognizes that she is not the only one doing this or that is superior to her previous light weaving but the way that it is uh, kind of described is that you know normally she can make images appear and you kind of see them as maybe holograms or uh, like augmented reality in on top of the actual physical world but then when she's telling the story with Hoyd present, it is as if the walls of the room fall aside and then they are surround. So it goes from like augmented reality to virtual reality to be- to kind of give the stay in the same type of realm is like she begins with this like ability of light weaving where she crafts the images and they're kind of dancing around on top of the physical world and then Hoyd shows up, and it's like they enter into the world. They become part of the story, and the expanse of the world is seen in a way that's much more detailed than she's ever done before. Well, I think that's the first time also that she's able to touch one of her creations. And she goes on to do that in the final battle. But I believe the first time is with Hoyd that she even, like thinks of the idea that it might be possible for her creations to have a physical presence that she can touch and it's solid like a normal human would be. So again, with this speculation of Hoyt's philosophy of like nudging things in the appropriate direction, it's entirely possible that Shallan needs that moment with Hoyt to then be so triumphant in the final battle uh, with her, she basically creates an army and gives yeah. them the physical ability to withstand some of the blows, not just be images, but mm-hmm. to actually have some physical presence. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Well, I think we got a lot of uh, good info and theories into this episode. So much speculation. I know, I think lots of speculation. Hoyd is the most speculative of characters. Yeah, absolutely. And he just introduced such mystery into the Cosmere. And that's why we love Hoyd. Yeah, I mean, he will be plenty of fodder for imagination in our Cosmere dark times. <laughs> we hope that you keep finding the light and download some Cosmere conversations. Let us know what you think about Hoyd. And the letters. Absolutely. Find us on Twitter or the Reddit, Cosmere Convo. Facebook. Yep. We're everywhere. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate if you continue to share. Shout out to uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, We got some uh, listener feedback from there and I noticed the uptick in (laughs) listenership. Uh, in Pennsylvania. So uh, big shout out there. And uh, first listener from uh, Mongolia. Thanks, Mongolian oh, listener. Hey. Welcome. Yeah, exactly. Just I'll just give shout outs to like random single individuals th- throughout planet Earth. Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm-hmm.